Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endow Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, Endow Women. This is Simone Riscala, Director of Program Growth for Endow. And I have the honor today of being with Sherry Waddell, who is the founder of the St. Catherine of Siena Institute, the author of the book, Forming the Intentional Disciples, the Called and Gifted Program, all these wonderful things. And so I'm very honored, especially to, to be talking to you, Sherry, today, because it is the Feast of St. Catherine of Siena. So I'm hoping she just brings ah. down all these graces on us <laughs> today. I told her I want a, a special gift today. So we'll see. You're, you're definitely a gift, the gift of it. But, you know, I could take some more, some more gifts. But I wanted to, to interview you, Sherry, because you were such an important part of my formation as a young mm-hmm. adult. So I, I, want, I want to have you introduce yourself and everything. But I just want to let the listeners know that when I was a young adult, my friend Katie Dawson took me, invited me to a called and gifted program at her parish. Yes. And I love Katie. And I thought, well, whatever Katie wants me to be at, I'm going to be at. And I went to this, to the called and gifted program and I was just blown away by it. And it was such a joyful, activating experience. And I learned about what the charisms were. And I also had some gaps filled in my life that, you know, knowing that this kind of weird things that were happening to me might actually be manifestations of charism. So that those gaps were filled. So that was a, and it actually got me involved in the parish. It made me feel confident to be, to be involved in my parish. And I started an inquiry program at my parish. It wasn't an inquiry program, but it wasn't, wasn't until that event that I felt more confident as a disciple and started to see myself like, Oh, there's something that I can do as just an ordinary lay Christian. And then I read your book, Sherry, Forming an Intentional Disciples, and I just loved it. And I bought a hundred copies and gave them out and everything like that. You know, I get really excited, very sanguine personality here. And because the part, and I haven't read it in a few years now, I mean, brought it multiple times over the years, but your description of like the 23 year old who gets disenfranchised and leaves. When I read that part, I thought, oh my gosh, like, has Sherry Waddell, a woman I don't even know, stalking my life because this is my life. But I'm just a statistic. I was just a statistic because at that time I, <laughs> anyway, I, I left the church and I didn't. I didn't leave and become wow. a nun, but I, mm. uh, you know, religiously unaffiliated. But I, I left the church and thought that my path was going to take another Christian experience. So all that to say is a very personal moment right now mm. for how much, and I want to thank you for how much you've impacted and helped my life and my my personal vocation. So Sherry, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. I, I really had no idea about all that background with you, Simone. I mean, I remember meeting you in DC, but, yes. but I had no idea all that was behind it. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you that a lot of people told me about the book, Forming Intentional Disciples. They said, it's like you were reading my diary. Yeah. It's like you, you were present at every conversation I've had in the last four years or whatever, because and it's just because we were all wrestling with the same things. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, uh, well, uh, I'm, I'm talking to you from beautiful, high in the Rocky Mountains, Colorado, um, and it's, where it's a beautiful day today. And 
uh, basically, I am the co-founder, actually, of the Institute. Oh, yes, Father Sweeney. Because, <laughs> because I co-founded it with my then-Dominican pastor, Father Michael Sweeney. Yes. came out of our collaboration at the parish level. And, and then word of mouth got out, and we started getting invitations around the country and now around the world. I also, I'm a convert myself from an evangelical background as a young adult. Young adult is a really crucial age. And a lot of us, it really is one of those periods where you make those, you're at that liminal place, the place where a lot of change happens and you make those big decisions that mark the rest of your life. And so I basically, you probably heard my story, but The reason I became Catholic is because as an undergrad at the University of Washington, I had gone through a conversion and was looking for a place to pray during the day and Catholic churches were open and Protestant churches were closed. I was an evangelical. I had no idea why Catholic churches were open. I walked through this pretty, you know, Gothic church a few blocks from campus and I felt the real presence. Now, I had no idea. You have to understand, I come from an anti-Catholic background. I had no clue no nothing in my head no categories in my head for anything like that but i could recognize the presence of god when i ran into it and so that was my turning point and that is why you and i are talking today so, so I, I love that you recognized christ even though it wasn't like this categorical there he is in the eucharist in the tabernacle but you knew jesus and so when he was there you're like here he is well, my my prayer life was primarily practicing the presence of God. Yeah, so, if cool. you're if you're alert to that, you know the church says to really contemplation is the ability to recognize all the various forms of the presence of Jesus that we encounter throughout the day. And I was doing that without having all that language behind it. Right. So when I ran into it, boom, you know. So, uh, so anyway, and the result is long-term that was turned out, that was in fact the parish of the Dominican parish where eventually we founded the Institute. And also it's where, uh, in Seattle is where I began. Uh, I created, uh, the called and gifted process about, uh, actually 25 years ago now as a completely clueless new Catholic, just because somebody asked, I, I finished school and the guy who oversaw my internship said, why don't you come up with some way for our people to discern their gifts? And I was too stupid to know. I didn't know anything. So I just said, sure. It sounds like fun. Hey, <laughs> no, we sow on bright days, the seeds of our own destruction and we have no idea what we're doing. So I, I thought, Oh, it just sounds like fun. And I'm still on a school schedule. So I spent that summer trying, you know, putting things together. I had, I was familiar with certain Process. I was familiar with inventories and workshops on that subject in the Protestant world I came from. Right. So I was sort of adapting those and offered it that fall um, to 20 handpicked people and as a volunteer. And they loved it and hired me half time. And anyway, the rest is history. The so, rest is history. yes. So for so those, about, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So that happened before the Institute. And I was, in fact, had been working on that rewriting, rewriting, and trying, of course, to, to place it in a Catholic context, because it was, that's a very different context than the sacraments and all that. And, uh, and that's where I met Father Michael Sweeney, who had been transferred to become pastor of my parish, the Dominican parish. And, and that's, that's what we had available when the Institute started. So that's what most people knew us for. Um, and we had a, oh, at least 130,000 Catholics all over the world go through it now. And uh, 
they've worked in hundreds of dioceses, and I've been to at least a thousand different parishes. And uh, so we have people working with us all over, and that's very exciting. And it was out of the discernment. Part of the discernment process is listening to people's stories of being used by God. Mm-hmm. You know, we say, tell us, tell us a story. And so they lay out these stories, and we help them recognize patterns in their stories that may indicate the presence of this kind of supernatural gift. And it was in that process that we realized a lot of people couldn't tell stories because, as they told me, I don't have a relationship with God. Yeah. You know, I was, I was really talking to one woman in major diocesan leadership doing her one-on-one interview, and she, I just couldn't hear anything. There were, there were no details in her stories, you know? And right. so finally I thought, oh, come on, I've been at this long enough. Surely I must hear something. So I just asked her, spur of the moment, I said, you know, if you could just briefly describe to me your relationship with God to this point in your life. What I was listening for was a turning point. Was there some kind of spiritual awakening or conversion or something? Because I knew the charisms will show up in your life after that point. Right. And she just turned to me and said, I don't have a relationship with God. Now, she was running a huge woman's ministry, a major diocesan women's ministry. Yes. This is baffling. And Well, yeah. You're like an archaeologist, like (sighs) like a sociological, psychological, spiritual... Catholic Church America archaeologist, like what's in there? No, no. I mean, I didn't, it was nothing to discover because there was no event. There was no encounter. So the first thing is you, because you can be baptized and confirm and receive the charisms, receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if you don't have that relationship with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, with the Trinity, they Mm -hmm. cannot manifest. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're like seeds. Uh, I like to say they're like seeds underground in winter in Colorado. And where I live, 7,000 feet high, seeds in winter look dead, okay? But they're not. Right, you know, they're there, but they've got to be cultivated. They're waiting for springtime. Right. And spring, spiritual springtime is what a lot of Catholics have not yet experienced. Right. Well, with it, within Dow, I mean, our, our, our belief is that, you know, just... John Paul II says that every woman has a feminine vocation and has that feminine genius, but that, that has to be, it has to be recognized. You have to know that you have it and it has to be cultivated. It has to be educated. And I think the charisms are a huge part of that, which is why I really want all endowed women to know about the St. Catherine of Siena Institute and know about called the called and gifted program, all the awesome things that you offer and, and all these things, because we are gifted. We do have a personal vocation outside of our jobs, outside of whether we're married or celibate or whatnot. That is the unique way that we bring Christ and build the kingdom. And if we don't, if we don't even know they exist. Okay. And of course, of course, these charisms, which the church teaches are given to all the baptized. When you and I are baptized, we become temples of the Holy spirit and the charisms come with that. The question is, where are we in our living relationship with God? And are we beginning to ask the questions about how can we cooperate with God? And, and uh, do we believe, do we want to offer ourselves to Christ? Do we want to follow him? It's after that point that these gifts start to manifest. We hear these stories all the time, you know, within a year or two and people come up to us and say, well, you know, I went through this conversion experience. I went through this retreat or I did this, whatever. I went through this conversion experience about three years ago, and then this thing showed up. What is this thing? Yeah. And you're like, tell me a story, you know, and then they tell you these amazing stories. But it's, uh, yeah. And well, and yeah, 
in my, in my case, it, I had a relationship with God. Uh, we, the weird things that were happening, but I didn't have the categories to explain it. And I, I was kind of shamey about it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I remember when I, when I first met you, I had a conversation with you about the charism evangelization, which I think I have. And, and, you know, you were kind of like, yeah, there are, there are enough weird stories in your life. Like let's discern, let's, let's discern some other charisms because <laughs> This one just seems like there are enough, but it, instead of feeling weird about it, I was like, oh, weirdness can sometimes equal Holy Spirit. And <laughs> well, that's, but that's a very common experience that people have when their cares and start to manifest. I've had like the first, the very first group I ever did, I had 20 handpicked people go through the initial workshop and this, this older man, I mean, he, I think he was in the seventies at that point. And uh, he came, he did his interview and he said, well, you know, I get woke up in the middle of the night. And I see people's faces and I see their names. And he says, and I have this sense I'm supposed to pray for them, but it seems really weird. Well, you have to understand, this is the beginning. I, now I could tell you that is such a classic intercessory prayer charism story. I mean, I've heard those kind of stories over and over, over and over. over. You know, it, Sherry, you're reminding me of my mother who, thank God that I encountered you and called in gifts and everything because my mom has the intercessory charism. Oh. And the night before 9-11, she sees it in a dream and she's like, I just woke up and I I felt pure evil and fires and people running Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. After that, you know, I said, mom, I think, and and weird, weird things kept happening like that. I'm like, mom, you have to actually pray. I think you have a charism for prayer, (laughs) your sister prayer, or she'd think of somebody and somebody, they would die the next day. I mean, real clear stuff. So now I'm, I've been teaching her like, Hey, don't be like, Oh wow. How coincidental. (laughs) But like, this is actually, you're being prompted to pray. You got to hold on to that. So that's amazing. That is not the first time I've heard similar stories about nine 11. Yeah. So it's like, yes, but that's a very classic people with intercessory prayer often receive promptings. They may see pictures. They may have words. They just have this sense they're supposed to pray for somebody and they have, may have no conscious knowledge of what the problem is. And then later out, it turns, you know, turns out to be really crucial. So it's kind of a class, it's just a classic story. And so, you know, that, that sort of thing for those of us, and, and many people don't know, they've, they've begun to try and follow Christ as his disciple. They're trying to take their faith seriously. And these things show up and they think, that was weird. That okay. was weird. And, but because we don't normally talk about this, this is absolutely normal. Everyone, every baptized person has charisms. The church says all of us are supposed to be discerning them. Um, the pa- pastors are supposed to be helping us. Priests are supposed to help us discern the charisms. The church's mission is dependent upon all the baptized discerning their charisms and their vocations, personal vocations. Right. Right. There's almost no structures for this, but you know this is all in the formal teaching. And so it's really exciting you know, when you realize how many people are having these things like you did, having these experiences and going, I didn't know there was a call that went with that. I just thought it was something weird. Yeah, that's right. And I'm thinking of my high school students who, you know, unfortunately, I'm going to say it, confirmation programs across the country are a little less than inspiring. And I, I just wonder if catechetical leaders or runners or confirmation programs were really well-educated and schooled in the charisms, 
you know, when young kids are looking for purpose, they're looking for their vocation, they, they, they feel like they're called to something greater, they, they want to know that they're unrepeatable and have dignity and like are made for, for something greater than if, if I mean, and confirmation is a is the most fitting one of the most fitting places to talk about charisms. And yet that conversation is left out. Often. If, yeah, you know, so. it, 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 we strongly encourage now one of the things, probably for most high school kids, it's we don't usually work with do people have people go through the inventory until they at least reach college because it's based on adult experience. Right. Right. But, but younger people, there's absolutely no reason in confirmation. We should be talking about the charisms. We should be talking about what you can normally expect when there's a whole new release of the Holy spirit in your life. Right. How to welcome that, what to look for the significance when they start to show up. Um, it's also great to let parents know about this so they can help, you know, so it starts to manifest in their children. And we've seen children as young as three manifest charisms. Wow. The issue is always, almost always that we don't evangelize our children. Yeah. So they have not yet entered into that relationship, you know, that kind of living personal relationship with God, or they may even think it's impossible. Somehow they picked up that idea. Mm-hmm. I could go on and on about the conversations I've been having lately, but anyway, um, <laughs> feel free to let me in. <laughs> oh, I tell you, um, it's it's just stunning to when you listen to just regular Catholics and regular parishes, just you know, regular folks, right? And 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 they tell you their stories. And one woman came up to me at a major conference a couple of years ago and said, "You know, when I grew up, she said I thought God was this distant, nasty." unloving rule enforcer who never showed up except when you screwed up and then he did it just to punish you. He didn't love you. Didn't love your family. She said, but Jesus was my buddy. I said, okay, how does this work? She says, well, that's fine. He was my buddy. He could be my buddy because he wasn't God. Oh, wow. So they're two totally separate people. And I'm like, okay, come, you know, come back. Let's talk some more. Explain this to me. And she had them totally separated. So after that, we started asking this question everywhere we went. And you would be, I was stunned. Roughly half the Catholics we talked to tell us very similar stories. When we know enough to say, we, our usual conversations that we have in uh, gifts interviews is we, at one point we say, Where, you know, could you just briefly describe to me your relationship with God? both for discernment, real discernment reasons, but also because they're going to struggle with discernment if they haven't begun that journey. And that's where people sometimes look at you like a deer in the headlights and you can tell they're trying to figure out, how do I fake this? You know, How do I tell her something that'll get her off my back? Or, or they, they light up like light bulbs, you know, and they're so excited. They just want to talk. And now we've learned to say, as after they've talked for a while, to say, oh, just out of curiosity, where is Jesus in all this for you? And that's when you sometimes discover God was over here and Jesus is somewhere else. Jesus is not God. Mm. It's really been stunning. These are kids who are raised in the church. They're attending mass every weekend. They have been through first communion prep. Some of them were actually confirmed. Yes. And inevitably often you hear the story. And then as soon as they got out of high school or even before they left the church, and then something happened along the way, and slowly they came back, you know. But this yep. is the whole, the whole time. It is, it is. And I, I was just at a, a family party a few months ago, and 
you know, I was talking to one of my cousins. I didn't want to go to the family party, to be honest. And I was, I had grace finally to, to pray the Holy spirit and say, can you please make this worth my while? I really don't want to go. <laughs> you know? uh, any family members listening? I love you guys. But I ended up having a conversation with my cousin who, again, most of my, my Catholic family, half my family is Orthodox, either half Catholic. Sure. You know, I, I could say, you know, in your thresholds, various, various places in the spectrum of conversion and discipleship. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to one of my cousins and it just hit me, Sherry, that I don't think, again, sacraments, Catholic church, Catholic mm-hmm. school, Catholic mass, raising her kids, the whole thing. And it hit me. I don't think that she knows that she has dignity and values simply because she's a child and a beloved daughter of God. This is what came to me. Mm-hmm. I got really awkward because I thought, oh, should I tell her that? Because I don't think she knows. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will. Right. <laughs> and she start, I, I, I just said, just checking in. You do know that you have value, et cetera, dig, you know, all that. And she said, no one has ever said that to me and just started crying. This is somebody who's been in the institutional church yep. her whole life. And it just shocked, it just shocked me. Well, I said, well, let me just say it for you again. This mm-hmm. is the this is a fundamental truth about who you are. So, you know. <laughs> it's breaking the silence. Uh, that's what we call it. We talk, there's this uh, we, we say it's the don't ask, don't tell culture. I love that. Yes. You know, we'll never ask where you are in your lived relationship with God, and you're never going to have to talk to anybody about it. And, uh, you know, that's the unspoken bargain in Catholic circles most of the time, especially at the diocesan level, parish level. And, uh, you know, so so when somebody says that to you, yeah, I, I can totally believe she has never had anybody say anything like that to her before. So what happens in teaching, they talk about the unintended effect. And as you as a teacher would be familiar with this, right? They learn stuff you never taught them. <laughs> yes. They hear things you never said. Never said that. Not once. Never said that. They draw conclusions <laughs> that are like a thousand years, miles away, light years away from what um, you were planning. I didn't actually ever hear that phrase, but that's, it's very healing to hear it right now. <laughs> oh, we're all there. We've all been there. You just have to build it in. You know it's going to happen. <laughs> um, but there's some things you could do to try and make that less likely. Yeah. But unintended effects, and one of the un- so people basically hear things through their own experience and their own understanding, right. and they draw their own interior conclusions no matter what we say to them. And so a lot of kids, I can't tell you, I just came back, I spent two months of last year outside the U.S. working in something like 14 or 15 different dioceses in four different countries and all different settings, very different places. What people hear, what they pick up from our, we, we tend to run them through programs. We tend to run them through institutions. Yeah. And think, well, they went through the institution, so everything's okay. They must have gotten it. They must have picked up a living faith in God. They must know God loves them and that God is good and God can be trusted. And somehow they must just know that. Yeah. And the answer is uh, at least half of them don't. Yeah. More than half of Catholics don't even know it's possible to have a relationship with God. And after Forming Intentional Disciples came out the book, I I was at an evangelization invitation only evangelization conference 
200. This is my first such event. And I was, I was a little overwhelmed because I was around all these really famous people. And then there was obscure girl, you know, out of nowhere. And, uh, but at the very first break, this guy walked up to me and he said, until I read your book last month, I did not know it was possible to have a personal relationship with God. And this guy is in full-time ministry forming clergy. Uh, Sherry, what do you say? That's such an awkward moment. I mean, praise the Lord, your book. <laughs> like, how do you as a person deal with that? <laughs> well, I, I was, I, I honestly, I said, I, I was so stunned that my mouth kept opening and closing without saying anything. That's like a fish out of water. I kept going, because I thought, what do I say now? And finally, I got it out. I said, could you help me understand why you think that is? Tell, tell me your story. You know, why is it you think it was like that? And he said, he grew up in a faithful practicing family. They went to mass every weekend. They did all the right things. He said, but we never talked about it. I never, see, if think about it. What we never talk about, most people never think about. Oh my gosh, right. We're not geniuses. We don't make this stuff up. Right. If we don't see anyone around us talking about it, acting like this is real, like it's a possibility. Oh, yeah, and Sherry, I'm so great. I mean, my parents were not well catechized in Egypt or Egyptians, but they loved Jesus and talked about him in our home. That's great. So, you know, I mean... It's funny because my friends that all were raised in these strong Catholic homes, like fallen away and whatever. I, who was not, I was raised, I would say, yes, it was Catholic and Orthodox and whatever, but it, it wasn't like you had to go to mass every Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if I, you know, confession, okay, well, you know, every, it was also very loosey goosey. What I, yeah. my judgment of it now, yeah. you know, um, but I knew that my parents loved Jesus. They read the mm-hmm. scripture. They prayed. Like we had sacramentals around the house. And I really credit. I'm just so grateful because mm. he was given to me. And then later on, in following that, I got to the fullness of the faith and all mm-hmm. the all the all the you know, deal that comes with yeah. it. But if it's the reverse, it's a much harder, right? If you start with the relation, he'll lead you into his church and his, you know. But <laughs> a know. lot of people have institutional faiths, not personal faiths. Yeah. And they yeah. relate to the church or some aspect of the church. And, and it's like, they'll think, well, the church will relate to God for me. I, I came in and I touched the holy thing. I did the holy thing. Yeah. I'm good. You know, I've done my thing. Okay. And, but they don't know literally that it's even a thing that it's even possible and it's interesting, those kids, who, t- those adults who told me as children, we thought God was the nasty rule enforcer off at a distance. Yeah. They also said, nobody talked about it at home. You just did it. You just did it. You went to mass, but I didn't see anybody praying. No, we never talked about this, never made reference to it. So what you are seeing and hearing as what is possible either at home, in extended family, in friends, someone around you. You know, it could be a youth minister. It could be, you know, a a friend of the family. Right, 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 right. Well, we- An older uh, sibling. Yeah, I mean, it's, I love, I think it's, it must be informing intentional disciples where I love to read this part, if it's in there, which I'm assuming it is about like Jesus being the the word that you don't use, you know, (laughs) and just like, 
I said, Jesus. And I just love reading it because I'm like, right. What are, and that's why I became a, you know, I left to become a Baptist for a while because they, they, opened, you know, the pastor literally opened the door of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was, they, you know, cared about my life very deeply and personally. Yeah. Uh, prayer was a thing. Bible was a thing. Jesus was a thing. And it was lovely. And and I thought they were kind of weird about their Mary stuff and their, you know, their theology, as if I knew any theology back then, but I, I didn't agree with right. them on this kind of stuff. Right, Which right. is nice to be in a safe space where you could, you could actually use the, you know. Yeah. As a friend of mine said, he said, we treat Jesus like it's Voldemort in a Harry Potter <laughs> film. You know, he must not be the But, you know, what is so stunning about that is now I know, and it's in the catechism, that actually Jesus's name is the only name you can say that contains the presence of the person being named. Oh my God. So literally when we use his name, we are invoking his presence. We're saying like, Jesus, come here, be here with us. Oh. You don't even have to say it out loud, but that's what's happening when you use the name. Obviously not in vain, right. but you right. know, with reverence, um, that his name is incredibly powerful. It brings his presence with it. And so for many, many reasons, the fact that we felt like, well, using the Jesus word was very Protestant and that's not something we do, which is what I heard all the time when I was a new Catholic. They're always like, why do you keep using that J word? You know, what is wrong with you? (laughs) You know, and yet it's so weird. That's another way where the silence is undermining the passing on of a living faith because it undermines passing on a living relationship. Yeah. And right now, we're aware of, in terms of, um, you're familiar with the sort of stages or thresholds of sort of pre-discipleship, the journey to yes, discipleship yeah. that I outline in forming intentional disciples. It's pretty typical for 21st century people. It's, yeah. It isn't the way people used to process the faith. Those yeah. issues now, total, 21st century people do it totally differently, okay? As we all know, right? Yeah. And, that's, and the younger you are, the more this is true. Okay. Yeah. So... But one of the things we've realized if the there's different, uh, there's like trust and there's curiosity and then further in there's openness and seeking and then discipleship. Uh, most of our people, even our leaders, our active people, our catechists, our DREs, even a lot of our, honestly, I hate to say it, but I do a lot of clergy days these days. A lot of clergy are not there yet either. They're still in one of these early stages. They're not yet, it's not even yet a personal relationship with God. Often it's a, per, it's a relationship with the institution. Right. And, or with the truth. And this is the right, you know, I had a priest friend recently wow. that shared with me, you know, that his, his fuller conversion came 10 years into the priesthood. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he had these really pious desires wow. when he became a priest wow. and it was the right thing. It was the truth. And he was going to lay down his life and serve, but then. Jesus kind of getting in there, that didn't happen until 10 years in. And I've heard that since the book came out. I've had those conversations with archbishops, seminary faculty, clergy at all levels, religious, lay leaders at all levels who said, I wasn't a disciple when I began ministry, when I was ordained, fill in the blank, took my vows. Right. I am now, and I'll tell you my story. Right. Wow. Amazing. Well, my hope, my hope for endowed women, whether they're hosts or participants is that they would be women that would make disciples 
that and there's there's so many ways you can do that and Dow is one tool among many but it is so beautiful that you have these small groups to study and learn the faith devoted to the intellectual life but then it relates to your relevant life so that you can go off and be transformed and be part of the cultural renewal which happens through relationship it happens through mm-hmm. mentorship spiritual motherhood and fatherhood and whatnot so I, um, so, t- so, so the called and gifted program, the St. Catherine of Santa Institute, your book, forming intentional disciples, I'll link all of those on, on these, uh, you know, on this, it's going to be linked on the bottom of this YouTube mm-hmm. video. And, and, um, I, we do have, as I said, we have a streaming version of the called and gifted now available online right. and it's discounted right now because of the coronavirus. Right. Um, so right. it's, it, so individuals can sign up for it. You don't have to wait for, right. for a long workshop or anything. And we also have some other resources on our learning platform. So people, uh, some of them are free. Um, so take a look. And it's, uh, it's basically Siena, S-I-E-N-A dot O-R-G. Great. So Catherine of Siena Institute. Great. And we're working on, as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, I, we're working on um, getting an endowed podcast going. So I don't know exactly know where all these links will be on the podcast because we're still developing it. But if you're listening via podcast to this, um, hopefully the discount will still be on, but it'll still be worth Fantastic. it, even if it's not discounted. But but it is St. Catherine's Feast Day. So before, I mean, there, I could talk to you for hours, Sherry. It's such, it, there's obviously um, so much that we could talk about. You and I need to get together now that you're in the area. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I would love that. But tell me about a little bit about your love for St. Catherine of Siena, because actually Endow has a whole study on her, on St. Catherine of Siena. And I, I wrote Endow Weekly Newsletter on her life and got to know her a little bit more deeply in doing yeah. that. And she's obviously incredible and a perfect, perfect person uh, to be interceding for us at this coronavirus time and, you know. Yeah, I mean, she she was we we picked her. We actually, Father Michael and I sat down at right at the beginning because the institute started in a very dramatic way, very quickly. And uh, we said, okay, what are we going to call it? And we're like, well, it's about the laity and evangelization and mission to the world and you know the lay vocation, all that. And we said, Catherine, she'd be perfect because she was a lay Dominican. She's not a sister. People right. don't realize that she was a lay Dominican, which is what enabled her to travel and do her ministry. And so Dominican, lay person, you know, evangelizer was the perfect combination. What is amazing about her in light of our situation right now is that literally the year after she was born, the plague, the Black Death reached Siena, reached Europe. Wow. So she, that's what she knew her entire life. And and it would come back in waves. You have to understand it came back in waves. So she, the story is, uh, she was the last of 24 children. She was actually a twin and her twin sister died. I Um, love learning. I just learned that recently going through our endow study and I thought, oh my gosh. Oh no. So (laughs) they were a well-to-do family. And, uh, she had a, went, she had a experience, mystical experience with God very, very early, at eight, like age six, that sort of thing. But she actually spent about three years sort of in contemplative prayer in her bedroom at home, uh, before she launched into public ministry. And one of the first things she did in public ministry is that she got involved with the local hospital, the giant scholar, which is still in Siena today. You can go visit where she used to work. And you can visit her house too. It's all there. But basically it was this huge institution that was actually run by lay confraternities. They funded it all. They ran it all. 
It's a totally different system than we're used to. And so she was working, she she had to bury some of her own nieces and nephews with her own hands due to the plight. So she really understood this and what it meant to, but she had this incredible gift of evangelism. I use her as an example in the called and gifted because she was one of these people that we hear different stories, but the Dominicans had to keep two, somewhere between two and seven Dominicans busy full time, just hearing the confessions of people she met as she walked around. All right, Italy and France and stuff like that. When she would show up in a little mountain village, people would just descend, you know, from all over. And 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 if you had a conversation with with Catherine, you know, people would just you'd just have a conversion on the spot. It was just amazing. And somebody would bring their friends, and so, you know, she had a whole family. They called it the Caterini, the the family of of Saint Catherine. Most of whom were older than she was, of course, because she was she started at nineteen and died at thirty three. So. She was a young woman yeah. doing her entire ministry. Her mother used to call her mama. Everybody called her mama. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And her mother called her mama as well. Wow. And in fact, what's fascinating, the Dominicans at first were uncertain about her. So they sent out Father Raymond de Capua to check her out. And, uh, and then, of course, he became one of her Caterini. And, uh, and she sent him on missions all over Europe. And uh, after her death, he became Master General of the entire Dominican Order. Um, so it's one of these, you know, one of the patterns, talk about charisms again, one of the patterns we're not used to thinking of is where a, someone who's ordained a priest or a bishop is drawn into a helping relationship with a lay person who has a big mission. And it's a, there's a charism there at work. It's, it kind of blows our minds because we don't think it happens like that. But in fact, when you make disciples and you foster people as People who are following Jesus can be sent by Jesus, and the charisms start to pop, and their vocations start to emerge, and and then you know the fruit they start bearing this enormous fruit that begins to change the culture and change the world and change the lives of many people around them. As that happens, some of these really interesting patterns that totally transcend our understanding of how the how the you know the institution is supposed to work. Well, actually, the charisms are a whole other factor. The whole charismatic dimension of the church is like both John Paul II and Benedict XVI said the church, the charismatic and the institutional are co-essential. Yeah. Okay, they're not in opposition to one another. Right. They're, but they're essential for each other. Oh, so beautiful. You know, and so, but, but how do you enable the charismatic dimension of the church's life to be lived so that it bears the great fruit that begins to send the ripples out into history and people's lives and culture? You make disciples. You have to call them. Who are, yeah, them who are in relationship with Christ yeah. and with each other because the only way that can happen, I think one of the most provocative, attractive things about Catherine and as, as you were speaking about this, the co-essentiality of this, these two relationships is that while she is rebuking the hierarchy, she is at the same time calling for obedience from the faithful to that hierarchy that she's rebuking. And how could she do that if she her, herself wasn't this original presence that only a saint could be that could mm-hmm. live in that tension of total obedience and also rebuking because she was in relationship with Christ in relationship with other people in this really unique way. So incredible. It was. I mean, she had she had no credentials. She had no education. She was illiterate. There was something. Uh, people are uncertain whether she ever actually learned to read or write. Uh, she may have, or partially. But yeah. I mean, she she had to dictate her 
her um, dialogues. dialogues. So, but yet she had this incredible presence and power. She convinced the Pope to return to Rome from Avignon. Um, you know, she she counseled kings and queens and royalty. She was in conversation with bishops and priests and mystics and, you know, all over the world. There's a, there is, in the church's understanding, if you will, a charismatic basis for a kind of spiritual authority and influence that Catherine definitely exercised. And now, of course, she's a doctor of the church, which, you know, kind of ups the ante on that. Yes. And so, but it was, she had no official status. Yeah. Even in the culture, she didn't, she didn't have like, she didn't marry anybody. She was single. So she didn't marry someone powerful. Yeah. She didn't have power in the culture. She didn't have power in the church, yeah. but the charisms are a whole nother dimension. And the church has always recognized that that is a different kind of power and influence that is crucial to the church's life and has been the turning point in many, in many instances and in many points in history. So, you know, the, what you and I as ordinary people decide to do with our lives as we, as we grow closer to Christ, we say, Lord, I'm here, send me, I'm open. What do you want me to do? That we have, you and I don't know what the ripples of that will be. We don't, most of us don't know in our lifetime, Mm -hmm. but the church says the fruit you bear empowers me and the fruit I bear empowers you. And not only that, the fruit you bear empowers the whole church. It belongs to every single member of the church. It empowers the whole church. So if you and I and all members of Endow are not wrestling with where is God calling me and answering that call and not bearing that fruit, you and I are impoverishing and weakening the church. And to the extent that we answer our call, even if it isn't obvious, even we are empowering people who don't even know we exist. They don't even dream we exist. But in the communion of saints, the church talks about the communion of spiritual goods. One of the sections they, one of the things they talk about is the communion of charisms. Oh my gosh. You know, so it's just like, yes, it matters that you say yes. There is someone out there who is waiting right now for what you have been given to give. And it matters that you say yes. You may not have met them yet, or they may not even have been born yet. But in God's providence, you are the one who's been gifted, who's been prepared for that person, that situation, that family, that profession, that neighborhood, that parish, fill in the blank. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that, everything you just said is exactly what I hope endow women can internalize that you're, yes, it really matters. And don't look to others, see what God is calling you to, to transform yourself, the world and and everything you're called to. And that's where your joy can be. So, Oh yeah. And that's why I, I would strongly really encourage people to, you know, if you can't right now, we can't do live call and gifteds. We offer them all over the world, but we can't do them right now, but it is available. Great timing, right? It got online. online, There it is. So we're very happy. And just, and just invite people. If you're going to do call to gift, invite people to do it with you to, you know, we just, we just launched our online, we, we just wrapped up today our online rosary webinar. Right. My uh-huh. hope is that you're, they're going to go off and, and do webinars with their friends and bring, you know, the, so with called and gifted to like share it. I mean, it will happen if you're, if it's, 
if it's a real encounter for you in life, you will naturally share it. But, you know. And we do have, we do have, actually most people, uh, we do form people to, f- to facilitate other people's discernment. You know, we've got, so we've got dioceses and parishes all over the world who are linked in and using the platform, you know, to, for a lot of people to go through the initial process. Right now, of course, that's a little tricky trying to bring people together for training. Um, but we're going to do, we're experimenting with doing some of that online. But right now, you know, you can go through as individuals or you could go, th- you know, your friends, you and your friends can do it, you know, kind of together and talk about it. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Sherry. Well, this will be a quick prayer. Thank you for joining okay. us. St. Yes. Catherine of Siena, pray for us. <laughs> Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If this episode was helpful for you, I would love it if you'd share it with your friends. I would also love to hear your comments and feedback, so please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org or feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. Remember, you are the heart of Endow.